Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Of course, our text today is this wonderful story of our Lord's birth in Luke chapter 2. It is an evening, a night. I've been talking to kids as they have been leaving. They're all excited about the gifts that they're going to receive, but no greater gift could be given to anybody. But the gift of being able to know this Jesus Christ and to be able to receive from him all the wonderful treasures that he has to give us. Now, when we think about gifts, I imagine that some of our younger kids are probably thinking about what they might receive. I was glad to see that Teddy Ruxpin is making his way back into the marketplace. They might be thinking about whether or not they might be getting a new doll or the old story of a train set. Our youth might be thinking about what they're going to get. Usually it has to be something a little bit more exciting, like maybe an experience bungee jumping or something like that. And of course, they always like clothes, so they probably have their minds and hearts set on something that might be a little more fashionable. But what is it that you and I as adults really want to have for Christmas? What gift would be the greatest gift of all? I would surmise that there are, in fact, I'm going to propose that there are four things that every adult, if not everybody, really wants to have. One of them is glory. And I'll translate that, something to boast about. Another would be authority. And I'll translate that too. Some control of our lives and maybe some respect. I think we all want to have Holiness, it's kind of a theological word, but it means when somebody is set apart and made special. And maybe some wealth, I'll translate that too, possessions that will ensure and guard and protect a good quality of life. Now, what happened on this evening as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior is that God actually, in the birth of that Son, He actually bestows upon us all those gifts. But if we are going to see them, if we are going to know them or understand what God is offering to us, we have to first come to understand the inverted, the upside-down, the inside-out way in which God has chosen to work. The Apostle Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God wisdom of, of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached 
to save those who believe. Foolishness, God's mysteries. Caesar Augustus was the emperor of all the so-called, at that time, known world. And Jesus was nothing but a poor Jewish peasant living in a place that was unknown and uncharted to anybody. Caesar Augustus was a person with unlimited power and authority. Jesus, this baby born in that manger, had no power or authority over anybody. Caesar Augustus lived in palaces separated from common people. Jesus Christ was born in a common stable, and he was just one of the masses of people. Caesar Augustus possessed great wealth. Jesus Christ possessed absolutely nothing, and what was given to him were nothing but the clothes of rags as he lay in a manger of straw. The gifts of God are mysterious things that are oftentimes not seen or perceived or understood in the way in which God gives them. But let me tell you, God gave to his son glory, but the glory of God is a very different thing. Though Jesus was king of the Jews, in fact, king of kings and lord of lords, the only crown that he ever received was a crown of thorns. Though he was the one who had made all of creation, no human being on earth was permitted to give him glory, not only because it could not be comprehended, but because God will only receive glory from himself. That's why Paul said, where is boasting? It is excluded. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Jesus' glory, and by glory we mean something to boast about, was only something that could be given to him from heaven. That's why the angels cried out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men with whom he is well pleased. And Jesus said, my Father is the one who glorifies me. But there's another reason for why it is that Jesus stepped down into this world into such low estate. He was going to be the window into the very heart of God the Father. That is to say, when you look at that child there in the manger who has not come to judge and condemn, but who came to save, there you see into the very heart of God the Father in heaven. This is why it is that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ. Because God's glory is of a different nature, it also means that God's authority is also of a different nature, the way that he gains respect, the way that he gains control. Let me just surmise that there are actually biblically two kinds of authority. And we might even use the analogy 
of the authority of a shepherd, the way that a shepherd could lead his sheep. Some shepherds drive their sheep. They push their sheep. Other shepherds lead their sheep, and their sheep follow him. There is this push that God could use with authority, like the authority of Caesar, who just simply decrees that there would be a census and everybody has to obey. But he cannot change the hearts of anybody to love him for what it is that he did. God gives us his law. His law is a push law, and it's a necessary law. It tells us where it is that we are right or wrong when we've done something contrary to his will. But no matter how much that law pushes us, it can never drive our hearts to love our Lord and Savior. So in order to be able to love him, he has to pull us. And pulling is only possible when there are no demands. The shepherd doesn't demand that his sheep follow him. The shepherd gains the hearts of his sheep by the way that he himself sacrifices out of love for the sheep. And our Lord came into this world to gain our hearts by the way in which he gave of himself and sacrificed his own life in order that you and I might be able to have eternal life. The undeserving, therefore, were the ones who came to his bedside there in that stable. It was the undeserving shepherds who never thought themselves capable or worthy of God's grace. But they were the ones who saw through the message of those angels a Savior who was declared to them. They were to hear that the Savior was going to be their Savior. And they could only do that by knowing that he was not going to save them because of their good deeds, because of their holiness or righteousness, but he was going to save them as a gift of his grace. And that's why his love of the gospel pulls us behind him. Because he has a different kind of glory, because he has a different kind of authority, he also has a different kind of holiness. Now, the word holy is used generally by us, isn't it? If something is holy that is kind of sacred to us, it's something that we set aside, that we put someplace that we don't let other people defile or use or abuse, sometimes we have a Bible. And the Bible is something that has meant a lot to us. And maybe it's something our grandmother gave us for our confirmation. It's something that we might pass down to our children. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to throw a Bible away? It's sacred. Yeah, that word sacred means special, set apart, precious. And I think every single one of us wants to be able to have some kind of holiness ourselves. We want to be precious. We want to be special. And there, of course, is that idea of secular, worldly holiness, like Caesar Augustus, like judges or presidents or movie stars or great athletes they're celebrities. They're people that by their specialness can be separated from other people. But that was not the holiness that our Lord has sought. There is this thing called sacred holiness. It's our human nature to think that we become sacred to God, holy to God, 
by the way that we do things, by the way that we live our life, by the way that we fulfill God's law, and even though God's law calls us to be holy, yet there can never be a holiness that we can get from fulfilling God's law. Now, what Jesus did was he received a unique kind of holiness. It was a holiness where God simply declared him to be his son. That little baby, that little body of flesh, that little child who did nothing to earn anything was the son of God. And when we become God's children, we do so because God has declared us, because God has bestowed on us that specialness, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And because this glory is different, because this holiness is different, because Jesus is different in every way, he also bestows a different kind of wealth. What makes us truly rich? Don't we all want to be rich? Would we be rich if we were not loved in life? Would we be rich in life if we could not be happy? Would we be rich if the whole purpose of our existence was to gain something material or temporal? There are a number of movies that are out nowadays about the Royal House of Windsor, right? And what's kind of good about them is as they tell the real life stories of these people, behind all of that glitz and all of that glitter, when we look behind, we see real people and we see people who have got the same kinds of problems and the same kinds of struggles, but we discover one very important thing that the most important things that really make us rich in life cannot be bought with money. They cannot be purchased. They cannot be held. They are things that actually can only be obtained by God giving them to us. The greatest riches of life is to have a relationship with God himself. The greatest riches of life is to be able to actually have brothers and sisters who share this faith, who have shared a common birth in believing and trusting in Christ. Through this relationship with God, consider what the value of this is. That he has been merciful to us. That he has pardoned our sins. That he washes clean our conscience when we have broken his law. That this is a God who not only forgives and gives us that beautiful umbrella of grace that we stand under, but then he gives to us a hope of everlasting life. And all of this cannot be purchased, cannot be bought, and it is so precious, it is so priceless that it can only be given to us as a gift. Mysteriously, if we want that wealth to grow and to grow, the only way that that wealth is ever going to grow is if we give it away. 
That is to say, only by God giving us his own son did we become wealthy, but when we became his, that wealth of Christ increased. And by the way that we use that wealth with others who are undeserving, as we forgive, as we love, we come to discover that our wealth increases all the more. That baby, born in that manger in Bethlehem, was the richest man in the whole world. So our Lord is offering you four wonderful gifts for Christmas this night. He offers you the wealth or the beauty of his glory. That is to say that you actually have something to boast about, not because of who you are, but because of what he has done for you. He has given you a powerful gift of authority, but not an authority that pushes, but an authority that gains the power to be able to pull through the power of love. He has given you a gift of holiness, not because of the things that you have done to gain it, but rather a gift where he has actually bestowed upon you that specialness, that perfection that gains was gained for you by Christ. And now he gives you the gift of wealth. He has made you rich in that wonderful peace that comes from God of knowing that what might ever happen that you have Christ, you have heaven, you have the forgiveness of sins, and you are rich because he has destroyed the power of death and he has given you a life that will last into eternity without price, a gift. So Merry Christmas to all of you for being so fortunate that you can see and receive God's beautiful, mysterious gifts this night. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.